running gold thing. San Diego Padres, I'm running gold thing. I'm running gold thing. It's never the same. Dominic and James Paz games always the same. This ain't your grandpappy's team. They changing the game. Seventh inning start the rally. They changing the game. Fernando, Tatis, going yard, hitting seats. Maya's in Machado, snatching victory from defeat. Hosman says we're nasty, now the world about to see. They call it Slam Diego, now the world about to see. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking stars. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking a brown and gold thing. 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 San Diego Padres. What's up, folks? Greetings and welcome to these Village Times podcasts. Uh, my name is James Clark, and with me is Mr. Dominic Stern. What is going on, Dominic? Back at school at ASU, schools in full swing. How are you hanging with the classes, man? You know, I'm hanging in there. It's a lot of busy work right now. I don't have a ton of free time, but I'm uh, I'm sticking it in the three hours just about every night to watch the Padres play and staying up to tune on the minor league farm systems for the Padres. So everything's been good. I'm happy, but it, it's it's a lot of hard work out here. Yeah, it's definitely school is a lot of hard work. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Dominic's at ASU, uh, Cronkite School of Journalism, uh, doing a lot of work out there, doing uh, you know minor league stuff for us, doing high school stuff in Arizona. It's a busy time of the year. Uh, the DTP podcast, Devil's Talking Padres podcast, puts out a podcast before every series. Got to plug them. Uh, Dominic and Bobby do a great job of that, coming from Cronkite most of the time. Uh, producing content every single series. There's no other podcast uh, on here or it's, that's available that does that really. I mean, it's, it's you got to applaud their consistency. So give them a listen for sure. Um, Dominic, what are we, ugh, this, the Padres? What, what, what God, what, you know, we had a little bit of a hiatus and f- from our show two, two week, two episodes ago till now, the team has just transformed into this enigma. How is the season going to play out? Uh, We're recording this on Friday, September 3rd, and the Potters currently sit just a half a game out of the playoff picture behind the Cincinnati Reds. But the Potters, it was very well documented. They had a very easy schedule from the start of the second half until about now, and then it was going to get a lot tougher. And instead of gaining ground on the Dodgers and the Giants and leaving the Reds, the Phillies, and the Cardinals in the dust, the Padres lost ground on the Dodgers and the Giants and the Reds, Phillies and Cardinals have caught up to the Padres. So they're going to have to find ways to play winning baseball against these other really good teams. The Padres have 28 games remaining. 26 of them are against teams with an above 500 record. Now that could change over the course of the next couple of weeks, but that's not good. And that's not what you want to have to face leading up to the postseason. But I tell you what, if the Padres can play postseason baseball and win the majority of those games and find a way into the playoffs, they'll have been playing playoff baseball for a month. And that'll be something that they could use as their advantage. Yeah, you're right. You're right in that, in that regard. They're going to have to just step it up to just, just take the game to the next level. But are they capable of doing that? Do you think that this team is capable of doing that? I don't know because the Reds, they have a very easy schedule. Like I believe it's the second easiest schedule remaining in major league baseball. So even if the Padres do play say at a 60% winning rate, they still might not make the playoffs because these other teams have caught up to them. And in all reality, they just have to play better than those teams, but they don't know what that mark is set at. So they could play really well over the last three and a half weeks of the season and still not get in. Yeah, it's it's really tough to predict what's going to happen, but we know that the history of Major League Baseball, teams that catch fire in the end of the year, teams that kind of back into the playoffs as wild card teams are very dangerous. So the Padres are capable of going through the stretch against the Astros and, and the and the Dodgers and the, and the Giants and the Cardinals and the Braves and 
and be up for the challenge and take their game to another, another level and back into the playoffs, if you will, and be the team that nobody wants to play because we already know they're the team that nobody wants to play They're They are more dangerous in a three or five game series because they're, starting pitching deficiencies don't exactly show as much. They can go to a bullpen game. We already know the bullpen is stacked, even though there's minor issues here and there, but there's production from this unit. So it's going to be interesting to see how the season unfolds, but the Padres are still a very dangerous team and and they're capable of, of, like I say, catching fire and, and being that wild card world series champion that we all want. Right. Yeah, I fully believe that if the Potters can get into the playoffs, yeah, they have a very good chance at yeah. winning the World Series. Now, I mean, I think the odds are stacked against them to getting into the playoffs, but if they're able to do that, they have just as good of a shot because they have just as good of a roster as most of the teams in the National League. Their rotation stacks up with both the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Brewers. The lineup stacks up against those teams as well. And the bullpen is just as good as any of those teams. So it's all about getting in there. I I don't think they will, but if the putters get in, they absolutely have a shot. Yeah, they do. And they are a dangerous team to play if they can get in there. I think that their challenge, like you mentioned, is getting to the playoffs just because they dug themselves this hole that they're in. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll have to wait and see. There's a a 10-game road trip that starts uh, on the 10th. Uh, where they go to Atlanta, uh, to LA, uh, four in San Francisco, and three at St. Louis. I think that that ten games in a row is going to be crucial for this team. That, that's that's all three of those teams. I mean, the Cardinals are are chasing the Padres. They're only games behind, a couple games behind them for the last wild card spot. So, all three teams are hungry. This is road road games. That series, those that three, those three series are going to be interesting and dictate the future for this, this, this San Diego Padre team that we all uh, know and love that we're all waiting for to uh, hoist that world series trophy. I think it, it's, I just have to laugh and giggle when I think about two months ago, how we were so optimistic about this team. It just, it, it's just, it, the laughing is, is, is a nervous response as a San Diego sports fan more than anything else. Cause that's all I can do is just laugh. Cause I, I, honestly thought this was the best constructed Padre team in the history of, of the franchise. And it just doesn't look that way. Injuries have decimated them. There's been other issues that have, that are come up. Um, we alluded to Eric Cosmere uh, last podcast as a, as a, I don't know, maybe a reason why the team's chemistry seems to be off. Uh, have you noticed any difference in the last couple of weeks? I, I know fans were on Fernando Tatis Jr. for not smiling in the outfield. And it's, it's, it's funny that when a team is failing, just everything seems to get just blown out of blown out of whack. So give me your, give me your, your opinion on that, Dominic. Yeah. I mean, the fans who are like mad at Fernando Tatis Jr. Well, the team's losing. He hadn't been playing well. He's not playing his position that he's super used to. So, I mean, naturally, he's not going to be his same self. Like, it's right there. And, you know, of course, it sucks not seeing the spark plug for the Padres and their team's best player not playing and not acting like the guy that the fan base has fallen in love with. But that's the reality. I mean, these guys, they have a job to go up there, play and compete, and they want to win. And they weren't winning. So, of course, they're not going to be happy with themselves. Like, that's just how this works. Exactly. I, mean, I, I don't get it up like that for 162 games, right? It's hard to dance around and, and be jubilant for practically three weeks in a row. They play games at times during the season. So, I mean, I don't know. You, it's it, the game of baseball is about trying to stay even keel. Padres were a sweat or are a swaggy team that, that likes to show that emotion, likes to jump around the field, likes to dance around, but it's hard to do that every single day. It really is. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Do you think that chemistry is an issue for this team moving forward? Do you think that that might be something that they might have to address in the off season if things don't go as they are planned for the next month? Well, no, I think the chemistry of this team is really strong. And then at some points 
it had been broken. Profar, who was also considered one of the lifebloods of this team, was out on the injured list with what is believed to be COVID hasn't been confirmed, but they never cited an injury. So it's basically assumed. Jorge Mateo, who was one of Fernando Tatis Jr.'s right-hand man, yeah, gets yeah. he gets DFA'd. Stuff like that happens. They also love Eric Cosmer. Eric Cosmer, his name gets thrown around a ton in trade rumors. Like it's stuff like that that kind of breaks the chemistry of the team. And it's not to the player's fault. It, these guys are humans at the same time as all they're also players for the Padres. And when that happens, they're not going to be happy about it because they're losing friends or potentially losing friends. So yeah. it obviously stinks that that may have changed the way that this team has been playing, but at the same time, they have to realize that they have a job at hand and lately they haven't been doing their job as well as everyone knows they're capable of, but if they can do it well for the next month and get themselves in the playoffs, I think everyone's going to forgive them. Yeah. The the human element of this game is really underrated and and it's not often conceived by the, the average fan or, or person who watches the game because it's, it's tough to envision going out there 162 games playing every day travel time trying to find time with your family you know reading social media i think social media has a lot to do with players performance nowadays they didn't have to deal with that 10 15 20 years ago and they do now they you fail or, or you make a mistake or you say something and you will hear about it it will be blown up it will be <laughs> reported upon and you just can't get away from it. So the mental aspect of this game is very tough. That's that's for sure. And I think the Padres are dealing with some growing pain, some uh, expectations that didn't exactly pan out. Injuries have a lot of, to do with, with what's going on with this team. Um, but like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, they are very capable of catching fire and being that team that nobody wants to play. So let's talk about the rotation, which is a big concern right now. Uh, Blake Snell has been, been unbelievable. He's that guy that they traded for. He's that guy that we saw last postseason shutting out the Dodgers and dominating them. It's, it's, you know what? I'd, I'd rather have him show up now than to be hot in April and May and cool down when they need him. Uh, he figured it out whether or not it's Rothschild or whatever. I'm not going to speculate. We'll, we'll, no one will ever know. He's never going to admit to that. No one's ever going to say that, but we'll, bottom line is he's performing now. He's hitting his spots. He's pounding the zone. He's more confident out there. And that's wonderful to see. Uh, give me your thoughts on Snell. I mean, how impressive has he been? I mean, he was, he was uh, on a lot of people's uh, shit list, if you will, there for a while. Right. And naturally because he had hyped himself up and he, he hadn't been what Blake Snell knows he's capable of what he had been. And listen, the, the reason that Blake Snell is doing really good is because he posts his bump day thing on Instagram. And every time I post, I repost that on my Instagram story. He does really good. So let's, let's get that clear off the bat that I'm the reason that Blake Snell is doing good and definitely not Blake Snell. The check is in the mail. (laughs) Right. But you're seeing his fastball being thrown with more conviction in the zone and also just effectively outside of the zone. Uh, You're also seeing the fact that he's throwing a much stronger curveball and he's throwing it with a little bit more conviction as well. He's throwing it for strikes. He's throwing it as pitches that are breaking out of the zone. And this is something that Bob Scanlon, uh, Padres analyst on both sometimes the radio and on TV, mostly TV though. He talked about the ability to throw the fastball for a strike and throw the curveball off of it. We had seen earlier in the year, his fastball strike percentage, it wasn't as good. And because of that, you know, the batters, they see the ball low and they're like, Oh, this is about to be a curveball, And that's exactly what it is. And they don't chase. Now they have to respect that fastball. And because of that, Blake Snell has been able to throw his off speed pitches more effectively. And he's just been so much better. He's more confident in himself. He's working in a quicker pace. And because of that, you're seeing the Blake Snell that Potters fans in all baseball had seen in Tampa Bay and not the Blake Snell that Potters fans and baseball fans had seen in San Diego for the first half of the season. It's a really good development for the Padres. They're going to need him to continue to pitch well in the September. They want a chance at making the postseason. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, 
he is hitting different quadrants of the plate too, which is, which is wonderful. You see him work up and down and it's, it's effective and he's being dominant. Uh, speaking of which he came out the other night uh, with a no hitter still intact. Oh, let's no. talk about that. And uh, go ahead. Give me your thoughts on media. Cause I want to, I want to hear your media reaction. You, I, I heard the, the, the side. Well, so important clarification for this. I was there. I was at the game because yeah. I'm here at Arizona state in Phoenix. Uh, it's going to probably be my last Padre game of the year. They would have to make the postseason for me to go home and watch a game, but I was there. So my opinion on that immediately was much different than a lot of people. I'm like, Oh, like, come on. I, I want to see the no hitter. Like yeah. it's not the same, but at the same time, Blake Snell threw 122 pitches in the outing before against Los Angeles Dodgers, which was a career high. And he had thrown 105 pitches in the outing so far through only seven innings. So odds are he wasn't going to get complete the game. And at that point, you might as well take him out, protect the arm because the Padres, like I just said, they need him to be good over the next month if they want to make the playoffs. So immediately I was super bummed because a combined no hitter isn't the same. And uh, Pierce Johnson ended up allowing a single anyway, so it didn't matter. But at the end of the day, I think that Jace Tingler and Blake Snell, they made the right decision along with interim pitching coach Ben Fritz to remove Blake Snell from the game. The Padres still won the game. They got the shutout, didn't allow any runs. It would obviously have been awesome for all of Padre fans to watch Blake Snell throw a no-hitter, and it would have been even more awesome for me because I was there. But at the end of the day, I think it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have to wonder if Joe Musgrove not throwing a no hitter in April, if things would have changed a little differently, because it could have been, you know, I'm, I'm still a old school type of baseball fan, if you will. And I, I got it. Would have wanted him to go out there for the eighth. And, you know, it, odds are he probably would have given up a hit within the, you know, next couple batters or whatever, but I don't know. I, it's just tough for me. I, I understand protecting the pitcher and I understand that he is necessary for this team to potentially go on a run and get to the playoffs and do some damage in the playoffs. So I can, I can certainly understand that. And, and Jace Tingler and his coaching staff aren't going to harm his, his arm or his future and, and, and gamble that for a meaningless no hitter, if you will, because that's really what it is. It's just an, it's a individual accomplishment in, in a game about, uh, about a team. So as a fan, though, it was, it was tough to see, but I, I could understand because he he wasn't going to – it would have took 125, 130 pitches minimal for him to get through that. And that I mean, been. he was at 105 through seven. And, like, Blake Snell, as good as he is, not an efficient pitcher. Like, that is no other way around it. There's no, That's fine. Uh, sometimes it makes for stressful outings, but he's not the type of guy that's going to throw a no-hitter. And it would have taken a miraculous effort in the last two innings for him to do that. Uh, he certainly could have, cause he was so dominant in that game. They didn't hit a ball hard after the second inning. Like yeah. he was, he was way more dominant than Joe Musgrove was in his no hitter. Yeah. And Musgrove was really good in that no hitter. At this point, Snell is, is the number one pitcher. If the playoffs started tomorrow and the Padres were in it, he would be the number one pitcher. He would be that ace. He would be that player, that pitcher that you throw out there with the game on the line at this point. And that has a lot to do with the performance of Mr. You Darvish. So let's let's talk about you, mm. uh, who's really progressed, battled through back, hip injuries. Uh, there's the sticky substance stuff. Um, what's going on with Darvish? I mean, his stuff isn't the same and whether that's because of these injuries or the hip injury and that now the back tightness, yeah. there's also been a lot of reports about he's a guy that has been linked to uh, using sticky substances to create more spin on some of his pitches. And we've seen the spin rate come down a little bit. We've seen his uh, accuracy come down a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's and if that's the case, that's disappointing. What is he giving him eight eight home runs in, in eight starts or something like that or some some ridiculous stat like that I had read the other day. It, it, you just you expect more from a pitcher with the ability that he has. Location has been has been a problem and and it's it's a shame that you see Snell and Darvish trending in opposite directions because the Padres need both of them to be pitching effectively for them to get to the next level. Um, 
I, I don't know. There's there's some concerns about that about Darvish. There's there's a lot of wear and tear on that arm. There's a past Tommy Tommy John surgery, although velocity hasn't really been an issue. It's been more of location and and, and stuff like that. So um, has Caratini been 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 uh, catching all of his starts? Yeah, Caratini still caught every single one of Darvish's starts. Standard. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. The the two of them are gonna have to get together and and figure it out. Uh, was sequencing or, or or what the deal is because it's you can't get hit hard like that. I mean, he shouldn't be hit hard like that. So, um, I don't know. Any any more thoughts on on, on you and and possibly turning it around? Yeah, I mean, he's got to figure it out with location. I think is the way to roll. Yeah, this his stuff isn't as good as it has been, but he still has a good slider. He still has a fastball that plays in the mid nineties. Exactly. He still has a curveball. He still has the pitch mix. So I believe he can get it turned around, but it's been pretty ugly as of late. He and Blake Snell were off two totally different starts to the season. And now all of a sudden they find themselves having very similar type seasons. And uh, yeah. it's also concerning for the long haul because one, his personal catcher, Victor Caratini, who was brought over, hasn't done anything at the plate. Uh, he's looked less reliable defensively behind the plate too. I think that's partially because he's caught way more games this year than he had in his career prior, but the, uh, the tandem that was looking really good and had you Darvish looking like a Cy Young contender earlier this year is far gone. And he's got to figure it out because as much as the Padres need Blake Snell to be good in the last month of the season, they also need you Darvish to be good. Yeah, they most certainly do. I mean, he'll just have to figure it out. I mean, he has a, a 12 pitch mix. It's got to be sequencing. It's got to be something to do with, you know, just, just a tell, if you will, uh, showing his pitches, if you will. So they'll, they'll figure it out. The velocity's there. There's still no concern about that. So we'll health wise, um, hopefully he's good with the back and the hip are still a slight concern. Uh, Joe Musgrove has just been ultra efficient this year, uh, kind of just flying under the radar doing, you know, hasn't been Cy Young caliber, if you will, but has been just damn solid all year long. And and that's what is what the Padres needed. That's an unheralded type of player. That's an unheralded type of pitcher. And, and let's let's give Joe Musgrove some love for just going out there each week and, and performing because you know that he probably has a bulky shoulder or a sore muscle here and there. And, and he just hasn't been able to or hasn't complained because Padres need him each start and he's gone out there and, and done so effectively. So let's, let's give Joe Musgrove some love, Mr. Mr. Stern. Yeah. He's not going to be a contender for the Cy Young, but he's absolutely going to get some votes. I think he's easily been a top five pitcher in the national league this year. The guys who got up at the top, Zach Wheeler, Walker Bueller, Corbin Burns, Wade Miley. And then right behind them is Joe Musgrove. I mean, he's been that good. He's been efficient. He's striking guys out a ton. He's got an ERA below three. Uh, it's kind of crazy how coming into the season, we're talking about him being the third or the fourth guy behind Lamette, Darvish, and Snell. And he's basically just passed them. He's been so incredibly good. He's tied for the league lead in shutouts at two uh, with only Anthony Scalfani and Zach Wheeler. I think that speaks a lot for how good he's been. He, he's a really talented pitcher. He's going to get Cy Young votes, and I I can't wait to watch him hopefully pitch in the postseason for the San Diego Padres. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Local guy coming home and really performing. I mean, the first no hitter by itself is is quite the accomplishment. But just having a productive year for this team and and really just grinding it out and doing exactly what they need. So a lot of love to Joe Musgrove for sure. Um, the Nelson Lamette. It's coming back or has came back the other night, looked absolutely wonderful in one inning, struck out the side. Uh, the fastball velocity is there. The slider is still uh, hugely effective. Is he going to start for this team moving forward? What What are your thoughts on that? My initial reaction. Oh, what a tough question. I, I just don't, I just don't see it. I just don't see it happening. I, I just, I, I, I the elbow is, is it, the injury is still It's a there. huge concern. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I don't know. Cause he's so good. Denelson Lamette is so good. I personally think that he is the best pitcher on the Padres. And yeah, I think that 
at this end right now and be just absolutely filthy. He could. I've I've stuck by Melanson all year, and he continues to yeah, I mean, not, not make me look wrong. Should, but but yeah. I think going forward, like I think there's a very serious chance that Denelson Lamet is the closer for the San Diego Padres in 2022. I also think that they could try him out in that starting rotation. I don't think that's the wise thing to do just because, I mean, that he's already had Tommy John once. He has a forearm strain, which is basically means that uh, his second ulnar collateral ligament, which is the UCL, is not in its, its best shape. Yeah, it's like, it's it's and <laughs> Obviously, you don't want to go into that second Tommy John surgery because the statistics coming out of it for a second time are way worse than after your first Tommy John surgery. So that's why the Padres and Lamette didn't do Tommy John surgery this past off season, but I don't know how much longer they can keep him out on the mound throwing that hard with that wicked slider and keep that UCL intact. Cause we've already and seen him go on the injured list twice this year. This is a slider pitcher. I mean, we're talking about the slider. The slider is his go-to pitch that, <laughs> Yes, he throws mid mid to upper 90s, but that slider is what's his dominant pitch. And that is traditionally what causes Tommy John issues, causes elbow issues. It's always going to be a strain on his arm. I, it, ah, there's a lot of concern for him moving forward. And and I, I don't know. I think they're just going to have to put him in the bullpen and get what you can out of him. And I, I honestly would not put him back in the rotation because that's just a ticking time bomb. It's just a matter of time before he comes out with an injury. And that's a shame, but that's just the reality of it. You can't ignore that fact. It's it. He's going to hurt his arm eventually. If he's throwing 150 to 200 innings a year, it's it, I just, and the worst part of it is when you subject a pitcher to that, they tend to wear down in the end. And the end is what, when you need Denelson Lamet to be that effective pitcher, that's when you need that ACE. And that it's just a, it's just a recipe for disaster. Um, speaking of Tommy John, uh, Mike Clevenger is throwing, uh, seems to be progressing and working his way towards opening day, 2022. What do we expect from sunshine? Uh, next year in a Padres uniform. I'm not expecting much personally. Like I just mentioned, second Tommy John surgery doesn't bode well for a lot of guys. And that's not to say he's going to come back healthy. It's that they don't come back as strong. They aren't able to throw with as much conviction. And it's really unfortunate because personally, I think Mike Clevenger arguably is a top 10 starting pitcher in major league baseball. You look at what he did from 2017 on through 2020 the numbers, they're up there with some of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Very consistently right around a three-year array with high strikeouts. Yeah. So the arm talent is there without a question. Now, we haven't seen anything from him other than his bullpen or his throwing sessions that he posts on Twitter, which is awesome that he's doing that. And he's throwing the baseball. He still needs to get back up on the mound. And it, he's obviously not close right now because it's been a year or under a year since he ended up getting this Tommy John surgery and the Padres already said, he's not going to pitch this year. So he's not going to be needed until come March, come April, and maybe even May of, of 2022. But I'm not expecting much. I haven't seen anything that's going to change that, but it's a very, very good sign that he is already throwing. And I would love to be proven wrong because Mike Clevenger Padres gave up so much for him. They already lost that trade. There's, no doubt about that. But uh, if Clevenger can come back healthy and give a decent amount of innings for the San Diego Padres, whether it's as a starter or a reliever in 2022, that'll certainly help that out. Oh, you said two, you said two keywords right there to me, Clevenger and trade and that, that sends me on a tirade right now. <laughs> I mean, oh, how good is Cal Quantrill looking right now? He's very good. And he was very good for the Padres too. He wasn't, he was solid in 2019, but he really for showed time, sign. For a time there, there was talk of him being the future ace of this team. It might've only been five starts or whatever, but he showed flashes of dominance with his just nasty sinker and, and slider comment. Uh, all right. Take a deep breath. Yeah. It, 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 that trade, oh man, that's still just, it blows my mind. I know that they got rid of Austin Hedges and, and that's wonderful, but 
you, Cantelo ended up hurting himself and, and, and didn't pitch this year. He hadn't uh, last time I checked. Uh, Owen Miller uh, has been up. He's made it up to the bigs. Yeah, a couple times this year. And Gabe Arias is still hasn't made his debut. We'll probably do that next year. Yeah. They might call him up at some time. I don't know what what his numbers look like. I it blows my mind and it hurts me to to look at numbers on players like that. Uh, he's a top one hundred prospect now. Yeah. How how is this year? How's he doing this year? He's a really good. Uh, I think so. That trade, that trade just, just, it just, uh, I just scratched my head. Uh, um, it is what it is. You know, you, it's the nature of the beast. The Padres are active on the trade front. AJ Preller is actively trading players. Sometimes you get burned. And that one was, uh, was one that's going to hurt for a while. Like you mentioned, they already lost that trade. Uh, there's just, there's, yeah, I, I, there's just no way to justify it. it. They've already lost it, but it is what it is. Um, we will move forward. Let's let's talk about some prospects now, since we were we were we were talking about uh, the young players that were traded to Cleveland. Um, the Padres this week promoted uh, Robert Hassel III, Brandon Valenzuela, and uh, Arribio Angeles to Fort Wayne uh, in the high single A uh, Midwest League. Uh, Hassel <laughs> responded by hitting three home runs in his, was that his first game or second game? It was his third game. Third game. These are impressive young players. Hassel's 20, Valenzuela is 20, and a catcher, switch hitting catcher, that's really showing a lot with the bat. And Arebio Angeles is 19 years old. Uh, this is a kid that was a international prospect signee in 2018 for 300000 the minimum. Um, well, I guess that's not the minimum, but signed for 300,000, which is really pennies on the dollar for what the Padres have spent, uh, when you're talking about Morahone and, and Almanzar and players like that, but at five foot 11, this right-handed hitter just barrels up baseballs constantly. And he's very impressive. And let's, let's gush a little bit about the DSL league, which I know you do some of the minor league reports that we do on that. They are on fire, and there's, what, three or four prospects in there that are on the top 30 Padres prospect lists? Yeah, Samuel Zavala is one of the big names. Victor Acosta, who we keep talking about. Uh, Victor Lazaraga, Uh and also, I believe, Daniel Montesino. Yeah, and Brian Medina's in there, isn't he, as well? Yeah, he's been in the DSL Padres. And we're talking about teenagers here. We're talking about guys who... Scouting, scouting reports and scouts and the guys that make up these top 100 lists have not seen play because they don't go to the DSL. They don't see them play. There's no television. There's no televised games. What they get is scouting reports and numbers that are fed to them uh, through MILB.com and, and other places like like us, if you will. These guys are going to flourish, and this system is is just continuing to develop players. So. I'm impressed with that fact. And I know a lot of people are disappointed that they didn't have uh, a big name pitcher to call up uh, when they had pitching problems, but that's just the way the team was structured. It may have been an error to uh, remove some of the higher pitching prospects that they had along the lines, uh, the Eric Lowers, the Controls, the the Lucchese's, the Marjaviciuses, names like that who could have actually – performed and eaten up innings and they wouldn't have to have signed Jake Arietta, but it, it is what it is. It's, it's tough to run a major league team. You can't foresee for things that happen. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, we were talking about how, how much depth the Padres had in the starting rotation, right? I mean, that's had seven, eight guys for the starting rotation or, or we thought, and look what happened. Morahone goes down. That's a name that it's kind of, no one talks about anymore, but Adrian Morahone, was supposed to have a breakout year for this, this ball club. So there's a lot of issues that, that are unforeseen and, and GMs have to deal with that. And um, just take it easy on, on AJ Preller. He's done a wonderful job with this franchise. I know that hoisting the trophy is the goal is the number one goal, but just because you spend money doesn't mean you're going to win. That's just how the, how major league baseball is. I mean, we talked about this before, right? Ask the Dodgers, for 30 years, they just hemorrhaged money left and right at players. 
and it didn't amount to squat. They didn't even make the playoffs half the time. So um, continue to support this team, continue to be appreciative of what they're doing here. Um, anyone else in the minor league system that we need to shout out uh, off the top of your head, Dominic? Well, I mean, you got to talk about Mackenzie Gore, who yeah, the Padres, they, that was the guy that was the minor league guy that they were going to call up if everything went wrong. And unfortunately for Mackenzie Gore and for the Padres, he had some blister issues. He had some mechanical issues early on in the year that caused him to stop pitching for about two months, but he's been pitching as of late in the Arizona complex league, which Mackenzie Gore is way better than any of those other guys there, but he's been yeah. doing what he needs to be doing in 16 innings. He's only allowed 13 hits. He struck out 22 guys, 1.65 ERA. He's killing it down there. I'd like to see the Padres move him up, see if they can get anything out of him, but uh, I, I don't think Mackenzie Gore is going to make it up to the majors, but with the limited time left in the minor league season, maybe push him up a couple levels and see what he can do. Yeah. And then if he continues to pitch well there, he can be another arm the Potters can use in the last two weeks of the season. I wonder if they're afraid to throw him out to Texas uh, because, you know, PCL is a, is a, is a tough league to pitch in. Uh, you take your beatings out there. You, you play in high altitude stadiums, you play in high altitude cities and, and you're playing against players who are in their last grasp, trying to make it to the major leagues, players who have had the taste of major league pitching, major league action and want to get back there. So I wonder if they're just being protective in that manner and don't want to subject him to getting his, I don't know, his psyche down again, getting his demeanor down again, wanting him to trend in a positive direction. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would love to see him in a Padre uniform at some time, but I'm going to hold to the what I've always said all along is that they want to c call him up and never never demote him. They, they want him to be a major league pitcher when they call him up and for him, if he has to take some lumps at the major league level to do it, but they have they want to be sure that they don't have to to demote him. That's just the gut feeling I have. I don't know. I, you asked me two years ago, I, I would have guaranteed that you would have seen him by now. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, two years ago in Amarillo, he was absolutely filthy dominant speaking to, to Austin, uh, a writer in, in, in Amarillo all the time, uh, had a couple of interviews myself with him in spring training and such. He just seemed to have figured it out. He seemed to have that demeanor. He seemed to have it all. And, and I don't know. It's kind of an enigma. The Padres have been really quiet about what's going on with him. I know there's whispers about mechanics. I know there's some whispers about, you know, other issues. But I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I still expect a lot from him. He's got such a great arsenal of pitches and and, and command uh, when he's on. So uh, big things for Mackenzie Gore. Uh, I, I like you say I wouldn't expect to see him at at, at this time. But then again, the Padres are such a, a hard team to predict. <laughs> they could they could promote him and and he could start tonight. <laughs> I mean that's just how that's just how they roll. Um, I wouldn't expect that, but that could happen. Well, that's not going to happen because I guess we should probably talk about this. I don't think you might not have seen it. It got announced. It actually got announced while we we're recording a podcast, not after we finished recording in like the Rothschild news. Uh -oh. uh, Taylor Williams was just designated for an assignment to create a roster spot for Jake Arietta. And that is certainly a questionable move by the San Diego Padres because Taylor Williams looked really good for the San Diego Padres earlier this year. Yeah. He was traded from the Seattle Mariners at last year's deadline, which continues to look horrible. That's another trade. And he was traded for Matt Brash, who's been making a ton of headlines lately because of how good he's been in the minor leagues for the Seattle Mariners granted at low levels, but yeah, Taylor Williams, who could have been uh, just kept on the injured list. They ended up, calling him up he didn't pitch and then had to dfa him to create a roster spot for jake arietta who is probably going to allow five or six earned runs for the padres tonight are, on friday are the mariners approaching the indians uh level of, of don't trade with him i mean i mean look at the well france is putting up yeah for the mariners france torrens has been really good for them tremel's he's struggled and then How munoz is going to come off tommy john surgery at some point next season 
that kid is going to be throwing 103 miles per hour plus. And as soon as that happens, I think Padres Twitter is going to just implode because I don't think most people really realized how special he is in himself. So, you know, Austin Ola had a knee injury. Austin, Austin Allen, Austin Adams. I mean, Oh my God. How frustrating is it to watch him pitch? Well, it can be very frustrating, but it can also be very exciting. Like when Austin Adams is on, he's elite. When he's not on, it can get very, very scary very quickly because his delivery is so wild and he pitches the ball from such a weird arm angle and he throws sliders. So like, yeah, he has very little margin for error, I think is the way to yeah. say it. And we saw out in Arizona on Wednesday, it was one of the worst outings I'd ever seen. He, and, and that's, it's, that's what happens. I mean, that's what makes a major league pitcher is consistency, right? But if the game is on the line, the season is on the line. Do you want him in the game or would you be nervous? Would you in the tie game, in an extra inning with the runner on second, which you want him and nobody out in the, like he's wild, uh, two wild pitches away from, from, you know, it's just, I don't know. Well, I mean, against the Dodgers in that one really long game, he came in with the runner on second and he yeah. walked two guys, yeah. but he got out of the inning without allowing the run. Yeah. So like he can, he can walk that fine line, but sometimes when he's really bad, it's awful. Yeah. And, and, that's that's scary to me. Um, we're we're talking about the Mariners trade. So it, it was it was Allen, uh, Nola, and um, and Altavilla. I mean, the, the, God, Altavilla had Tommy John surgery, so yeah, he's I mean, gonna be out just, through next year. Just the production that you're seeing from France, uh, a, a local guy, if you will, a San Diego State guy. It, it just frustrates me. It just frustrates me. I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. Again, you can't win every trade. I'm sure it frustrates the hell out of AJ Preller and the staff because it is what it is. They're the ones that have to, to deal with it. They're the ones that have to live up to this. But it's it just frustrating because that was a huge haul of prospects. Both those trades were a huge haul of prospects. I know that they had 40-man issues. I know that they had other problems that they needed to address that the average fan doesn't really understand. Understand, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's just – it's. Well, because I I remember recording with you after those trades happened, and I remember saying the Mariners trade is a very risky trade. And I remember saying I do the Clevenger trade, obviously, hindsight. We're looking back on it. Why, you know, Clevenger, arm injuries, he's really good. The team's in playoff contention. Like, they should have known. But I I remember being more concerned about the Mariners trade, and those concerns are really coming into fruition. Nola's been good, but – but we're not uh, talking about a 25 year old prospect. We're talking about a journeyman who's turned into a catcher. Who's really come has, to- a, has a knee injury issue that makes me believe that he's not a long-term catcher. Yeah, exactly. What's his upside. I mean, his, is, have we seen his upside already? I mean, I, that's scary. To me. I mean, when he came back off the injured list this year, uh, like a month ago, that was when the Potters offense was starting to click. And that was what, that was really when I was believing, all right, this team's going to make a run over the stretch and they're going to put themselves in a position where they're going to make the playoffs. And since then it hasn't been as good for Nola, but I still trust him way more at the plate than Caratini for sure. And I'd trust him more than Campusano. Everyone's everyone's talking about Campusano and like how good he's been at AAA as if we haven't forgotten how inflated those AAA numbers get. Yes. Remember it. Um, and also Arias has been really good for the Brewers this year too. Oh, you had to dig that last one in the truth. Let's let's address Caposano uh first. He, there's still the defensive concerns with him. There's still the concerns of him working with veteran pitchers. There's the still you know, he's it's this is tough. Didn't didn't he have issues uh with Melanson or so someone had issues with him earlier in the year when he came up for, for a couple so I know that Melanson preferred using Caratini as the closer but the guy that he really had problems with was Blake Snell and that was at the beginning of the year when we're like oh it's because Snell's only throwing to to Campusano because Caratini's got to catch both Darvish and Musgrove and Snell was in the middle of those guys so that kind of it's we slid it away from Snell but then it really ended up looking like after Campusano went back down it was more of Snell so I really don't know about that those but we haven't seen him come back up, so I don't know. Those are really concerning because you don't hear pitchers complain about their catchers at all. You will not hear that at all from anybody. And you're here, you heard that, 
And honestly, I've heard that in the past from minor league pitchers about Camposano. That's why I've always been a little bullish on him. I've always catching is your number one job as a catcher, receiving the pitcher, calling the game, calling pitches. Yeah. Calling pitches. The whole game is the whole field is out in front of you directing people around. I mean, that's what Yadir Molina does so well. I, I, I hate praising him because he gets enough praise as is, but he is the greatest at, at being a general on the field of controlling players, where to move, what's going on, what pitches coming, watching the game. And that is way more important than a, than a catcher who goes out there and, 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 and just slugs. I mean, look at Mike Piazza is the perfect example of that. Piazza was arguably, I'm, he is the best catcher offensively in the history of the game. I mean, you can look at maybe Josh Gibson or something if you want, but this, that well, that's the best offensive catcher in the history of the game, but he definitely had defensive problems. It's a fine line. Is Camposano going to hit 300 with 20 plus home runs and, 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 the, and, and the OPS, uh, you know, is that going to happen or, is is he going to justify his defensive issues enough with his offense? Because honestly, those defensive defensive issues are, are going to be tough for him to get past. I mean, yes, he's young. Yes, he's capable of maturing. But those those are the type of things that kind of stick with you a long long time. I mean, that long term. That's just how it is. That's just how the game works. I don't know. Give me your thoughts, Tommy. Well. You have expressed your concerns. And I know personally that you were a really big fan of Blake Hunt, who was used in the trade for Blake Snell and is now a prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays. The Potters have done, I feel like in the last couple of years, a decent job of developing defensive catchers because Nola wasn't a catcher really. I mean, he did catch in Seattle, but he's been brought over and he's done a good job on the plate. Pitchers really love pitching to him. Francisco Mejia, he came over and he was definitely not a good defensive catcher. We saw strides from him. Like you could see it. He still wasn't good. Definitely wasn't great, but he was getting better. I don't think anyone who watched Mejia was going to deny that. And you now see him in Tampa Bay and he's one of their primary catchers, which I think speaks volumes because they're a winning organization. You also look at Austin Hedges. I mean, as much as Potter fans don't like him because he couldn't hit the ball at all. He was really good defensively. That was a fact. So I think that maybe they could work on him, Campusano, a little bit more and get him to be better. But I, I think that uh you you can uh you can have that gripe on Campusano, but if you hit the ball, it doesn't matter that much. He's gonna be an offensive catcher. That's what he's gonna be. I mean, that's 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 what it is. I mean, he could work himself into being a respectable defender, but he's not gonna be a gold glove caliber defender. I mean, that's just how it looks. I, I mean, anything can happen. He can easily prove me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say that he can't do this because that would be unfair to him, but that's how scouting is done. You you look at what it looks like and that's just what it looks like. So, it, I mean, not to take anything away from him because he's still a valuable player. He's still an all-star caliber type player that could develop into more um the concerns are with defense so that's why we haven't seen him at the major league level consistently that's tough i mean you're dealing with major league pitchers pitchers who've been there uh, uh, 10 20 years or whatever they expect things done a certain way and they demand it to be done a certain way and if a catcher is not capable of doing that they're not going to put their numbers on the line because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Catchers don't have an ERA. Catchers don't provide a whip. Uh, they have framing. They have other defensive things that you can look at. But an ERA uh, comes down to the pitcher and 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 pitch calling and and performance and and little intangibles that can't be seen on, on a scorecard, if you will. So um, the Padres are still very deep. I mean, Luis Camposano. Uh, Mackenzie Gore are still very high prospects, guys who are capable of being called up to the major leagues at any moment and performing. So there's still a lot of talent within this team, uh, with this, this organization. We just have to figure it out. And uh, it's going to be tough. These, these, these next series of games that the 10 game road trip that I mentioned in in, in a couple of weeks, I mean, even tonight against the Astros, it's going to be a battle. This team has, multiple teams chasing them and multiple teams within striking distance of them. So 
it's tough. I haven't looked at the schedule for, for the, the uh, Phillies or, or the Cardinals, but I'm sure that their schedule is more favorable than what the Padres have to deal with. And that's just the reality of it. They didn't perform against teams they were supposed to perform against. And now they're back against the, is against the wall and it's time to man up. So we'll just have to wait Padre fans. It's, it's a, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be like playoff type atmosphere for the next handful of games. Right. Dominic. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the Friar faithful can really show up at home for these next two series. Cause they only have two more home stands. Believe me, I would do anything in my power to go back home and cheer on the Padres, but I can't, that's the reality of the situation. And the Padres, they really use that home field advantage from all the college students who had been home. They're gone now. I really hope that the rest of the fans can, uh, can make up for that energy that is kind of going to be lost. Now, San Diego state is bringing in some students, USD, bring in students, UCSD, bring in students who could, who could fill up Petco park too. Uh, that's not to say that the atmosphere isn't going to be lively, but with the Astros in town, I know that people on Padres Twitter were like, Oh, thanks Astros for what you guys did to the Dodgers. No, I mean, come on, listen, we all hate the Dodgers. Like no one's going to sit here and say we hate the Dodgers. And if I could pick one team for the teams to cheat against, It'd be the Dodgers. But at the end of the day, they disrespected the heck out of Major League Baseball. They deserve to be booed. They deserve yeah. to be ridiculed. And I, if, I, if if I see Potter fans like applauding the Astros players because of what they did, I'm going to be very upset. I, I don't know. I don't get that whole World Series thing. Because if you ask me, the Dodgers were cheating to some aspect as well. I, I agree, too. But the Astros were caught cheating. Yes, they were caught. But the Dodgers were, were probably doing something. That, I mean, that's just... That's just how it is, how it was. I, I don't know. It's a sticky situation. I don't know what to what to tell you. The it COVID, definitely is. But COVID saved, COVID saved the Astros a, a lot of ridicule. That's for sure, because they would have gotten it a, a big time last year in come April. And you know, world concerns uh, actually took uh, precedence. Uh, Dominic, let's uh, before we get out of here, uh, the Padres, I guess, they put out their playoff uh, schedule or the playoff um, ticket plans for uh, season ticket holders. Your, your family's a season ticket holder. Did you have any chance uh, to see uh, the cost of playoff games and stuff like that? Uh, I was told by my mother yesterday that they got tickets. That was and they're in our season tickets, which means they are in a uh, lower level down the line at third base, which I, uh, I assume they're going to be very expensive, but uh, there's also a good chance that the Padres one don't make the playoffs. Yeah. If they do, it's going to be in the wildcard game, which probably will be on the road in either San Francisco or Los Angeles. Yeah. And they'd have to win that game just to get a playoff game. So yeah. um, it, it, I, I, I don't know how expensive they were, but I saw I, complaining about price. So I was just wondering if you, had any thoughts on that or if you had heard anything about that no and i mean it's going to be an expensive ticket because this is the first playoff game in san diego the fans have been able to attend since 2006 i mean that's a lot it's 15 years james like this is going to be a massive deal and you know i really hope that the true fans for the padres can show up to those games because i know that it's going to be expensive but i just really hope that it doesn't get like overtaken by the people who like moved here because they want to like retire here and they live in La Jolla or Rancho Santa Fe. And they're like, Oh, let's go to the playoff game because that's cool. And we're not going to really care. I really hope that it's the passionate fire faithful fans who have stuck by this team for the last 15 years, waiting to get back to a playoff game at Petco park that can be able to attend those games. And listen, I, the Padres, it's a business. They want to make as much money as possible with these tickets, but I really hope that they can make it reasonable so that the Padres can get their true fans there and get the best support for the team. Yeah, well, it, they got a lot of a lot of obstacles to get to get through before we just even get there. One hundred percent. Yeah, so um, we'll, I guess we'll re, we'll revisit that topic at a later idea, uh, a later time, hopefully. Uh, Jake Area tonight. Uh, oh, Rocks, awful. Scored uh, for the Astros against Mister Arietta. Uh, against Arietta, I'll put it at five and a half. Wow, That's I tough. have zero faith. In Arietta tonight. Gonna, the offense is going to have to show up. Now, they are facing Jose Urquidy, who is coming off the injured list. If the Padres can get to him early, that'll put the bullpen for the Astros in some limbo for not only the game, but for the rest of the series. That's going to be the only way they're going to win this game. Um, I haven't looked at the game total, but I assume it's really high. They're going to they're gonna have to get that this offense going. And, and, and they're just not as aggressive as they were the first couple months of the season on the base pass and running the bases. I don't know. That's something that 
you know, maybe we could revisit at a later time. I maybe do some research and look at the numbers, but I, I know that at one time they were leading the major leagues in stolen bases by far. And since a certain, they're date, no longer in first, the Royals yeah. are in first. Yeah. Since a certain date, they're like 28th or 29th in, in stolen bases or something. So that's a concern. I, I wonder what happened in that regard because they were putting a lot of pressure on teams before they were leaning on teams. They would get up one, nothing. They would start running around. They would start stealing bases going first to third and, and other teams, the te- the teams weren't handling it. weren't handling it. Well, the, the teams that they were playing in, and now they kind of going station to station. They're, they're, they're like Oakland A's now looking for that three run home run. And, and that's just not a good way to play. Uh, I'd like to see some more aggressiveness uh, on the base pass. I'd like to see some more stolen bases, if you get caught stealing, then then so be it. But you go out there and, and you put some pressure on the other team and, and jumpstart the offense. Um, I don't I don't know, Dominic. What do, what's your thoughts on that? They have seemed a little passive uh, on the basis for sure. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Because I remember saying when we had our last podcast, like, yeah, the starting pitching is the main concern right now, but the offense is giving them very little margin for error. And ever since then, the starting pitching staff has picked it back up because Joe Musgrove's been really good. Blake Snell's been really good. The bullpen's been still good. They haven't been as good, but that's because they're just overworked um, to oblivion. And then Chris Paddock came back, gave the Potters a good start. So the offense needs to get it going because the only way you can win games is by scoring runs. Like that's legitimately how baseball works in a nutshell. But the offense has the talent. They have the approach that we've seen with the patient Padres, but they haven't been executing that approach at all lately. If they can start executing it again, I think this offense can go on a tear this last month, but uh, I haven't seen anything of late that really makes me think they're going to do that. No. Yeah. I mean, execution is, is definitely the key to this uh, hitting with runners in scoring position. I mean, that, that Dodger game in which they could not get the freaking run home. It, oh, it, it, it was so painful. Blows my mind that these major league teams still can't conceive the fact that, it, t- it literally takes two outs in order to get that run home, a ground ball and a fly ball. I understand it's, yeah, you, you can't just, you know, it's not like ordering room service. You're going to get a fly ball when you want, but for them to give away at bats continually over and over again, oh, I mean, how many times was Caratini up with the chance to win the game that made the final out? I mean, that, that game was just frustrating. It really was because it seemed like the Dodgers didn't want to win it. And then they're just like, whatever. And the pot, oh, go ahead, win the game. They didn't do it. Okay. We'll try. Uh, now nah, we don't want to win it. Okay. You you try. Oh, you don't want to win it. Okay. I mean, it, oh, it just, it was frustrating, frustrating, frustrating times. Um, you just, you have to execute. You have to lay down the bunt. You have to hit it where they're not. You have to, to choke up on the bat sometimes, make contact. And it's just not happening in crucial situations like that. And it's just being magnified because of their losing streaks and, and their inefficiency to get the job done. And it is what it is, right? As a San Diego Padre fan, you kind of just kind of get, I don't know, immune to this, if you will. But uh, Yeah, somewhat. Padres just released their lineup for tonight. Tatis, Machado, Cronenworth, Myers, Hosmer, Nola, Grisham, Kim. It seems kind of weird considering that they're facing a right-handed pitcher for that lineup. The lineups have been kind of odd of late. I would like to see some consistency in that as well. That's just me being old school. And, and at least between Tatis and Machado and Cronenworth, you have a lefty-right-left combination there. I'd like In my ideal, it's, it's Tatis second, Cronenworth third, Machado fourth. That's my ideal lineup. And I'd even put Grissom in. I don't know. It's just frustrating. Uh, I don't. I don't like Tatis batting cleanup. I don't want to see him bat in the second inning for the first time in a game. That that's not. hundred oh, yeah. percent agree. That's not cool at all. Your best offensive player, the best offensive player in the game, should bat in the first inning. And and to, in my eyes, the number two spot is the new number three spot. That's where you want your best player at. You want him creating stuff. You want him driving in runs potentially. You want him making your lineup longer and better. So uh, it is what it is. We don't make the lineups folks. We just uh, complain about them, if you will, or rave, potentially rave, I guess after a 16 to nothing game, we'll rave about the lineup or whatever, but that's just the nature of the beast being that uh, Monday morning quarterback, if you will. 
Uh, this was episode number 147 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, Dominic, I think we've pretty much hit all the bases. Anything else before we get out of here? I think uh, I think that was pretty good uh, as far as topic-wise. Yeah, uh, I think we did a good job. And I, I don't think we have anything else to discuss. We'll just come back with another episode in the near future. All right, folks, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We're going to try to stay more regimented. I know we were about uh, a little over a week from our last episode. We were working on some guests. Uh, I have one in particular that should be with us next week. If not, we'll have uh, other uh, tricks of the trade coming in. Uh, thank you so much. Dominic, go ahead and take us out of here. Thank you all for tuning in to the East Village Times podcast. This has been episode 147. I'm Dominic Stern, and that was James Clark. You can find us on Twitter at DMStern19 for me and at EVT underscore J Clark for James. Make sure to keep checking out our content at EastVillageTimes.com. Aztecs football season starts on Saturday, which is probably that day that you're listening to this podcast as this was recorded on Friday. Uh, should be an exciting year. I don't want to say down on the Mesa because they're playing up in Los Angeles as the new stadium is being built. It's the last year before they move into Aztec stadium. I can't wait to potentially go to games there at some point in the near future. And uh, we're also always covering the Padres covering the San Diego loyal as well. So make sure to check us out at usefulagetimes.com. You can find us at Twitter at EVT underscore news. We thank you all for tuning in. We will catch you next episode and go Padres.